I really enjoyed talking with our guest today. He couldn't be a nicer guy. It was a really interesting conversation. He has a pretty wild life. He is currently the executive director of the Eureka Rescue Mission. We're just going to hit the ground running on this one. So please give it up for Brian Hall. So how did you figure out to give me a call? Um, yeah, well, I came across the rescue mission page and you're plastered right on the, the front of that thing. Mm-hmm. And I figured you would be the perfect, I wasn't sure if I would get you actually when I reached out through mm-hmm. email, I kind of was shooting in the dark, but then it worked out perfect. Yeah. You got the boss. Yeah. Came yeah, in here. Yeah. Um, and you have been tied to that for quite some time. You started out at the thrift store there and that's how you got involved. Yes. I, I went through the program. And now, what is that program? I can't. It's the New Life it's, program. Yeah, it's the uh, New Life Discipleship Program. Yeah, is that? It's a year-long residential, faith-based, uh, non-churchy uh, program. Yeah, live in. Is that just a requirement for anybody in to be housed in no. with the request? No, you don't have to just... be a believer or anything. People come in that are not Christians into the program. Uh, most of them um, end up with a relationship with God through the program. But uh, people coming in to get services don't have to believe in God or anything. So how did you get involved in that program? Well, that's a long story. You want me to start? Yeah, we've got time. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I had shared with you earlier that I had a huge drug problem um, throughout my life. And it's I think it was 18 years ago. Um, I 19 years ago, I got in a lot of trouble um, in, in Eureka under the influence of meth. I uh, was, I probably shouldn't go into detail what I did. I'll just say I broke into a, um, I broke into an Ace Hardware truck trailer and uh, stole a bunch of stuff and then came back to get more stuff and went inside the trailer. Well, by that time, the driver came out from the motel he was staying at, heard me in the back and locked me in the back of the Ace Hardware van. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was <laughs> that's not that's not a spot you want to be in. No, uh, and so being a hardware van had a lot of um, tools, and I could hear him scream at me through the door that, "Hey, I'm going to go call the cops. You're done." You know, and I thought, "What am I going to do?" Well, I'm going to be creative, and I grabbed some gardening tools and got up on top of pallet, started beating the top uh, of the aluminum trailer, and I made a hole. I broke one tool and then used another tool and I made a hole. By the time I climbed out through that hole, uh, I felt like I worked a 10-hour shift at a sawmill. You know, I was beat. And by that time, when I got out top, he came back, uh, jumped off the truck onto the off the trailer onto the truck, acted like I had a gun, and he dodged and I started running. Well, I, I wore size 10 and a half shoes, but I had a size 12 and a half boots on my friends. And so I could not run very fast. <laughs> so he caught me. Uh, I ended up going to jail. Look, he chased you down. He chased me down and, and caught me. Um, and I just basically just gave up, you know, I was so strung out on meth. It was, it was really a low part of my life. Um, uh, they locked me up and I was looking at six years prison. And, um, again, I went to prison in 2002 for manufacturing meth. And so, uh, when I, 
went to prison this last time, I had fabricated a story that I was trying to help somebody out of the van that I heard in there and I was up on top and all this stuff, you know, I look back on it. I look back, right. I look back on it now and I think nobody would have bought that, especially a jury. Um, but I was in the jail, dorm 385, um, H quad. And there was a correctional officer in there and about three 30 in the morning, um, a God pushed on my heart beyond anything I could explain in the English language. Um, and it was just tell the truth. You have to tell the truth. Um, and so I got up and I walked up to the jailer, Ryan Craig is his name. And I told him I did it. And he just looked at me really bewildered. And he said, you did what? I said, I did the crime. I've been lying all along and I had to tell somebody in authority the truth. I deserve to be here. And I, tur I turned around and walked back to my quad and I felt like a million pounds was taken off of me. Funny thing is, is about a week later, he had taken a vacation. About a week later, he came back in the dorm and uh, leaned up against a little concrete wall and, and leaned over and said, I uh, had some lunch with some higher ups this weekend. And I said, oh, really? Yeah, great. And he goes, yeah, we talked about you. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, don't blow it this time. And he walked away. And I put my little jailhouse slippers on and I ran up next to him and I said, what do you mean don't blow it this time? He says, I can't talk to you about anything else. Just don't blow it this time. About a week later, I went to court and they offered me probation. They were not coming off of six years and I got probation. I didn't have to do a program. I could go get a job and take care of my family. But I knew I was so deep into drug addiction and I needed a faith-based program. I've done other programs. And um, so... I uh, ended up getting released, uh, seeing my um, probation officer, and she was bewildered because... You just got basically uh, let off. Yeah, and she was. She said, they're not requiring you to do any program. And I said, well, I need a program. I want a faith-based program. And so we brainstormed a little bit, and I mentioned, because I had heard something about the rescue mission, that the rescue mission had a program. She goes, that's the one. And so she immediately picked up the phone, started talking to uh, Steve Lorenz, who's passed away now, but he was a chaplain. And I had an appointment to see him the next day. And the day after that, I went into the Eureka Rescue Mission program. But I thought it was a house in town somewhere, and the rescue mission was on 2nd Street. I had no idea that the program was actually at the homeless shelter. And there was no room in any of the program member rooms. So I slept in the dormitory with um, all the homeless people. And I didn't want to touch anything. I was scared I was going to catch something. But about a week in there, um, I fell head over heels in love with the people that were staying there. Absolutely changed my life. Had that been your first interaction with nope. anybody homeless? Nope. No. Because years ago, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we had a house in Fortuna. That's where I got arrested in 2002 for cooking meth. But we had a house there in Fortuna. I had it built. And we, uh, I got radically saved. I mean, just transformed from the inside out, born again Christian. And I was really religious going to church. Um, we would go from Fortuna and we were going to Harvest Church, which it used to be Myrtle Avenue Baptist Church, but it's Harvest Church now. Pastor Andy, Vo Andy Brosi Van Grunau, uh, awesome brother and just a really great guy. Um, we would go to uh, Myrtle Avenue Baptist Church, but on our way, we would swing through Old Town. And I had a van, an Astro van, and I would open the door and say, anybody want to go to church? And so we would get homeless people to, to go to church with us. 
Um, actually, I had one homeless guy I took home with me in Fortuna and let him live at my house for a while. So I really had a heart for people, but I never expected to live in the same dormitory or ever what I considered end up at a homeless shelter, you know? Yeah, be that close. Yeah, because when you look at it from the outside, you look, oh, they're a bunch of tweakers or drunks. They're, you know, they're just nasty, you know? Um, but really, when you're on the inside, that's not what it is at all. Now, take me back to the beginning. How did the Matthews start? Was that... When I was really young, um, uh, had a lot of problems in family life. I had a great mom, great dad, but my dad had an alcohol problem. So there was alcohol introduced to me at just a very young age. I mean, just barely able to walk. And my dad, you know, it was just a thing back then. That's been 56, 57 years ago, um, 55 years ago. So I was a year older or something. And, and he, was, he would let me take what he called a pull. You want to pull? And I would drink his uh, beer. And so At a grown, year old? Yeah, just a little guy. Just a little guy. Yeah. And he would, it was, you know, he, he didn't think it was a big, big well, deal. My mom, on the other hand, she was like, Gene, stop that, you know. But I just loved, absolutely loved the taste of beer. I did, really, a lot. And so, I mean, I don't drink beer now, but if I did, I would drink beer. <laughs> I'd end up in cuffs and, you know, that's just where I go with it. So um, it's kind of started there, marijuana. Um, and then a friend of mine, Philip, when I was in high school, I think it was a freshman in high school, he gave me back then the meth was like a hundred times stronger than it is today. Well, when I used last 18 years ago, it was, it was, uh, a lot stronger than the stuff that was on the street. There was what we called probe dope and it had a real bad smell. Um, and so he put it in a little zigzag ro uh, rolling paper and he said, don't taste it, just swallow it. Well, I took that and I tell you. It was like, it was like the heavens opened for me because I'd you always just swallowed it. Yep, yep. It was in a zigzag. I didn't snort it. I didn't didn't know what it was, you know. And he just said, "Yeah, it'll give you energy." And so I always had a real iron deficiency when I was young. So I had a real lethargic. It was just uh, I wasn't really energetic when it, there was times I was energetic, but I just really kind of went into a I don't know what you call it, borderline whatever medical term they call it. I was just really didn't have a lot of energy. And, uh, but that, I mean, just literally opened up realms of energy for me. And so you take that and, and it just I got, changes your whole I demeanor. Got, I got so energetic, wired. Um, yeah, just, I wanted to do things. I wanted to build things and creativity came out, you know, it was, it was like, for me, that was the perfect drug. And so from that point on, it was about getting that stuff, and and I did anything and everything to get it. You know, I stole from my family. It was just really bad, yeah. And then, obviously, I'm guessing when you ended up in that truck, that was to get money for drugs. That was more, to steal, to get bad. stuff, to trade for drugs, yeah. And so the first time you went to prison, that was because you were cooking? June so, 19th, 2002, yeah. So when did that process change? Was that you were over just trying to find it where you could and you thought hey man i could well I could it, cook this up <clears throat> yeah a few years before that the drug trade changed it went from being probed open to the stuff that was coming from over the border which was ephedrine or they called it crystal but it wasn't really strong like it used to be the probed dope is the peanut the butter yeah the really strong stuff yeah so is that right around when fentanyl came into the picture no or is no, this no. Is... fentanyl no that wasn't even around as far as i knew that was like a cancer drug or something when i was a kid so they were just cutting it with other yeah, it was, um, I don't know, just the potency of the meth. Was down. Yeah, in 2002, it was, it turned from, 
uh, I think the biker dope to um, stuff that was coming over the uh, southern border. And uh, you know, sometimes it was kind of good, but other times it was just, you know, really hit weak. Miss. Yeah, it was a hit and miss. And so I had a friend in Rio Dale um, that taught me how to cook meth. And so I ended up going to all the drugstores and getting uh, pseudoephedrine uh, tablets for pseudofed. And um, so I would go all the way to McKinleyville, all the way to Rio Dell, and hit just about every drugstore. And you, back then, you could buy it right off the counter. Yeah, nobody yeah, was keeping nobody track. Nobody was keeping track. So I got a bunch of that. And I learned the process. And and so I never really got good at it. But when I did finally get good at it, it was an accident. I had left it cooking too long and was in Eureka. And I was like, oh, no. And then I went home and uh, did the process. And, and it came out really strong. Yeah. So... Did and you... that was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Uh, because um, I had a neighbor that was an Arcata police officer and my other neighbor was a Humboldt County Sheriff officer. Yeah. Those aren't the neighbors you really want. <laughs> if you're going to be cooking meth, that's probably no, not that's, ideal. No, that's not what you want to do. So, but you know, I mean, I kind of look at my life when I was a little boy. Um, I remember my mom calling me in from outside. Uh, we lived in Hydesville. And she would tell me, Billy Graham's going to be on TV tonight. And I, I couldn't wait to get in to get my bath and put my pajamas on and watch Billy Graham. And, um, man, I was just every time every at the end of his his speaking, um, all the people would go down front. And I wanted to be there so I could go down front so I could experience that. And I really believe that years ago when I was a little boy that I, I actually became a believer in Jesus. Yeah. Were you religious at all? Not a bit. No. no, my mom didn't take me to church. I didn't have a Bible. Um, I wasn't a follower, but I always prayed. I remember as a kid throughout my life, I prayed. Um, very um, unreligious. Unstructured. Unstructured, unreligious. But I look back and I look at back all the things that I've been through in my life. Um, I've had people shoot at me. I've had knives in my throat. I have all kinds of things. And I, I look from now, I look hindsight and all the things that I experienced, I can see the protective hand of God through my life for such a time as this for me to be able to sit here today with you, uh, being in the ministry at the rescue mission, all of that, um, was it God's plan for me to do all the bad things? I, I don't think so. Um, I, he probably would have rather me been really a good kid all the way through, but he knew I wouldn't be, so he allowed me and protected me through all these things that so today I can be a testimony for him. A non-religious person, I can't stand religion. Uh, religious people put Jesus on the cross. Um, so I believe in Jesus. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I don't subscribe to um, organized religion. And I don't, I don't say that to be offensive. I just... Um, no, they are two separate things. They really are. The church and people yeah. that just, I don't want to say passively practice, but are on the outside of that. It's just two different groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah or two I, inter two different interpretations, right? Because the yeah. way the church can interpret things sometimes is a little more yeah. structured and formalized and there's and only not, one way. I go to church on Sundays. I, I go to the, I go to an awesome church in Fortuna, Nazarene Church. The pastor is awesome. His name is Mark Seitz. Awesome guy. Um, it's, it's, it's like you're in a Nazarene church, but it's like not an organized churchy church. You know, it's just a real, just really cool fellowship with a lot of people that have struggled in life and that are there and just real happy to be clean and sober and, you know, just, just a good thing.
Why I'm I'm sitting over here because you said that you had you know you've been shot at you had a knife to your throat. That's the stereotypical thing everyone thinks of when you start talking about you're falling into the drug use hole, mm-hmm. right? As you go down this path, and it's just crime. Yeah, it's I, just yeah, yeah. pure survival. Yeah, I was a thief. I didn't want to go hold the job. I couldn't hold the job, so I had to steal. Um, well, I thought I had to steal. Uh, I stole to to support my habit, and so I was a thief. You know, it's just bad. But I don't steal anymore. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I've been out of that mix for, I think, 18 years, 17, 18 years. Yeah. I've been the executive director of the rescue mission for 10 years. I think on the 7th of September has been 10 years. Congratulations. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a a learning curve, to say the least. Yeah. And so when you said that was the last time with the cooking meth, I'm guessing your neighbors found out, or how did that all come to an end? Oh, yeah. They knew. Um. I can't imagine it's a quiet thing. Like it was a cul-de-sac. It It was right. Yeah, it's a cul-de-sac. One of the things that tipped my neighbor off because before I started using drugs, uh, because I had I got like really bad injuries uh, over the years of working in a sawmill, and so um, I I resorted to somas and uh, doctors and being off work and stuff like. Well, it turned into alcohol, beer, and stuff like that, and um, and then it, it went into meth. So, but before all of that, I used to have a really, really nice green lawn and I'd like to keep my lawn greener than anybody else. So I did all kinds of, I mean, I was literally out there with a pair of scissors after I mowed it. If I saw a a tall piece of grass, I would go cut that. I was manicuring my lawn with a pair of scissors. So I went from that to having a lawn that was brown. And so it gradually got worse. And, you know, uh, Ernie was a sheriff. And Eric was the Arcata police officer. Uh, they both came to my house one day and knocked on my door, and I opened the door, and uh, they came in. And Ernie was, uh, you know, he was the good angel on my shoulder, and he told me, Brian, look, because I, I confessed to him. I said, yeah, I, I am, I'm doing drugs. Yeah. You told him before he ever They found came out. in, talking with me, concerned, what's going on. I've seen people come to my house early morning hours, um, and, you know, they're raising a family, and they want to have a nice neighborhood. Understandably, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but, and then um, Eric had told me, you know, your lawn used to be nice and green. And that's when I finally said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm using. And so Ernie um, said, you know, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. My door's open to you. If you want to talk, I'm I'm here for you. And Eric said, if you don't stop now, um, I'm going to take you down. (laughs) <laughs> you had both of those yeah the both of those yeah. ends the support and yeah, the yeah. kind of push of well something's got to change yeah yeah you're living in a cul-de-sac with people and uh and you turn into a stupid idiot you know and they're wanting to live their lives and have a nice neighborhood and i'm over there polluting it you know um so it was june 19th 2002 that um i was swooped swatted or not swat i think it was drug task force uh, came and it, Fortuna Police Department, and it, I think they went in for something with stolen property or something. They had a report of that, but I didn't have any stolen property. I sold it. Um, but they did go in and started looking around, and they found some um, things that would indicate that I had been uh, manufacturing meth. And so they right away said, he's got a lab, he's got a lab, and um, took me out. And, and then the Bureau of Narcotics Enforcement came from Reading, it was a really, really low place in my life. Yeah, my wife and I both, they took my three kids. 
um, the kids. Oh, you had been living there with your family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My three children were taking CPS. And my sister-in-law happened to work for the uh, um, for the welfare department, uh, DHS, DHHS. And so they got wind of it. And so she ended up being able to take custody of my three kids. Uh, my wife, um, she wasn't doing the cooking. It was just me. And so I ended up taking the full rap. She did a, a week, I think, in jail. And then she got out into a program, Streams of Living Water. Sue Tilly had it going on at the time. And I um, and I went to prison, yeah. yeah. Was she using your wife? She was, yes. Yeah. yeah. Damn. I know. It's, it's a real tragic story. You know, and when I tell it, I don't like to tell it all the time because I experienced the emotions. You lived it. I lived it. And, and taking those memories from then and bringing them into the present, um, I can, ex I can uh, then, uh, I can even here now, I can feel the emotions of letting down my kids and my wife and my family and my community. Um, and, you know, uh, going to prison, not having a tattoo on me. I did 14 months. I took the N number, N74657. Um, what does that mean? You that means I took a narcotics offender number so that when I got out, um, I wouldn't have to register as a drug offender. And I could beat my time. I, instead of doing five years, I could get out in as little as eight months if I did program. But when I went to CRC, I went to San Quentin, I spent a week there. Uh, and then they took me down to California Rehabilitation Center. And it's a great big name for prison. It's a big Navy, used to be in a Navy hospital area, turned into a prison. It's a level two. Um, it was crazy. I mean, the water was brown. Uh, it was, and I was there for 14 months. And um, it was tough, you know. It was really tough. The water was terrible. It was hot. Santa Ana winds blowing sand in the windows. And, and it was just, it was crazy. You, you, can, you imagine... Uh, going, taking a narcotics offender number where everybody's trying to beat narcotics uh, convictions and you have all of the dealers and drug addicts in one place, you know, and are they, they're there to beat their time and they, they're running hustles. There were more drugs in prison than, than there were on the streets, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. I was just having that discussion with somebody the other day about how crazy that is because yeah. there's only one way for those drugs to get into prison. Huh. And it's through the guards, right? I mean, you could smuggle it in for visits sometimes, but wouldn't you say most of it is the guards bringing it in? Yeah, there was um, Adelanto. I think there's an area down there. It was a prison and like a level one prison, Adelanto. So some guys that would come from CRC or other prisons would go to Adelanto and they would work and do things in the community. But then they're, they were getting ready to parole. So then they would bring them back to the main prison, CRC, and then they would be there and, and, and parole out of there. So those guys coming from that other prison were coming back, having been free, kind of free, uh, able to get cigarettes and everything else, um, and they would bring it. Um, and they weren't searched? Well, when they get back in, you know, they, they do their thing, and you bend over and cough and all that stuff. But, yeah, they, they, they pack it up the rear end. So am I wrong with that? Is it not usually guards? Bring that in? It is guards. It was used, not necessarily guards. I didn't see guards bringing it, but I know some of the free staff, the counselors. And the counselors The were counselors, it in. yeah, yeah. And the thing about that is it would primarily was tobacco. Uh, I know some illegal mail that was, um, they were not allowed, the guards were not allowed 
to, at the time, to open your legal mail. So when you got legal mail from an attorney or something, um, uh, that wasn't, they couldn't open it up and search it. That's private, confidential between you and your attorney. Well, there was a guy there in my dorm that was getting legal mail from his attorney, but he was sending in heroin uh, pressed between paper. And so when the heroin hit, you could tell because everybody was in the bathroom throwing up and it just, just a nasty drug. So, what yeah. was it like when you realized, oh shit, I'm going to prison, and then now you're, it you're was, going from a free man to in the cage? It was, uh, I can't even explain the feeling. I was scared to death. Um, you know, here are all these stories, you know, but I was 38 when I went, 37, 38 years old. And um, so I had a few gray hair, and I, I hung out with the old guys. Um, you know, I had a lot of friends that had been there. And there's like, you know, bro, you're going to be all right. It's no big deal, you know. I just don't, uh, I, I'm not a weak person. Um, I stand up for myself. And so, but I'm not looking for trouble. But if it comes my way, then I'll deal with it, you know. And that's just the attitude I had. Um, I don't get involved in drugs. I don't get involved in gambling. I, none of that stuff. I just stayed to myself. I hung out with people that just were doing their time to get out, you know. And uh, I thought about my family. Um, you know, I really went through a lot. Um, of personal uh, condemnation, you know, a lot. And I hated myself. I mean, to the point where I, I didn't plan out, but I contemplated suicide, you know, how would I do it? Um, I was just really remorseful and regretful and it was a bad time. Yeah. Did you have any, anybody pressure you to join gangs? That's the big one that you no. hear. No, no. No, I stayed. I hung out with some guys that were already in gangs. Uh, the Hell's Angels were a couple of guys here that were, were Hell's Angels, older guys. Um, Venice Ray was his name, long ponytail. Um, and this guy was probably, I think he was like 68 years old, but he could do like 40 pull ups on the bar. I could do like 10. Well, I guess <laughs> if you're in prison, right? What else are you going to do to yeah, work yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. So you try to just keep your head down, hang out with the older crowd. Yeah. And I didn't fit in with the young guys running amok, you know. I just didn't. Yeah. I didn't do drugs in there. Were you uh, detoxing in there? I detoxed in Humboldt County Jail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you and that was tough. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Or what is detox like? Is it a off week? of meth? Yeah. It's for me. It was really bad kidney pain for a long time, and drinking lots and lots of water to get over it. Yeah. And they just have you stop cold turkey? Yeah, you don't get anything. Yeah, they're not. No. Is that, does that ever kill anybody? I don't think detoxing from meth has. Because it does with alcohol in some cases, alcohol, right? Alcohol, yeah. Really, yeah, if you're, really yeah, you, down the rabbit hole. You can, you can die from DTs from alcohol. Yeah, you can, have, you can seize. Um, heroin also, but it takes quite a bit. But yeah, people get really sick. But not meth. Meth, you're just going to not have Not that time. I know of. Yeah, meth just, I mean, you sleep for days after you don't have any. So, yeah. And so, you make it through prison, you get out, how long before you start using again? Well, uh, when, I, when I was in prison, um, I went from, you know, six, eight months of just feeling like I was a dog, and then kind of learning how to just, you know, um, I don't know what it was. I still didn't get, I still didn't get it right. You know, Meaning. I didn't, I didn't get right. I didn't get right with God, you know, 
You just did what you had to yeah. to get out. So uh, after being there for a while, I was like, you know, I can do this. I can do this time. It's no big deal. Um, and so I decided I wanted to get some tattoos. I never had a tattoo on me ever anywhere. And, and I got blasted I, from my elbows, you know, back arms, all across my chest. You know, I've, all, so I wanted to, uh, I know, I knew I was going to get out in a few months. And so um, I got a bunch of tattoos so that when I did get out, everybody, everybody would know that I've been to prison. So I'm a convict now. And I'm, I've got this persona that I'm going to. You did that wanting that attachment. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you see, I flipped when I was in there. Um, so I got a really good suntan when I was in there and then I got out. Um, and when the bus pulled into Eureka, my wife and my kids were there and I was, uh, looked out the window and, and I saw them and I just started convulsively crying because I realized that they were so happy to see dad. And I realized that they're the ones that actually did my time. <laughs> did you feel... I mean, how much does that, that, what would you call it, that convict mindset kick in to play? I didn't realize, I didn't think I was, um, I felt that I would be able to completely circumvent the institutionalization. But when you live in an environment for, you know, over a year, um, whether you realize it or not, you, you, you adapt to your surroundings in order to survive. It's a survival. And so when I got out, um, my daughter had written a letter after I got back in trouble again. Um, yeah, she, she wrote in that letter that, you know, uh, asking the judge to let me out, you know, and not send me to prison again because um, prison changed me. And she didn't like that change. So it did affect me. I did come out with kind of an attitude. Um, tattoos. I, you know, I wanted to be the convict. Um, why was, did you want to why did you want to manifest that or fall into that when you got out because i just couldn't be who i was you weren't that same person anymore yeah i just you know in life uh, little kids are very impressionable and so when we're little we see people that we kind of idolize in life you know i want to be like that and then we we take upon ourselves personality traits of other people that we like and friends that we hang out with um you know mannerisms that my friends do that i like that so i'm going to start doing that and so over the years you kind of you kind of take upon yourself all these different um things from other people that you liked and that you wanted to be like and you kind of grow up and that's who you've become but that's not really who you really are you've you've added to your own personality other people's things and and you've adopted them as your own when all reality is that's not who you are at all you who you really are is is who you are you know and so i grabbed on to that and i was i'm shoot 38 39 years old and i'm still an immature kid you know really so um you know, what do you do? You know, where's my identity? You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, until I came to the mission and God really dealt with me. Um, it's like he said, Brian, remember when you were a little kid playing in the sawdust pile with your Tonka toys? 
And it was like, yeah, I remember that. And it's, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it's like God said, that's who I want you to be. And I thought, wow. And then I read in the scriptures, it talks about Jesus said um, to come to him um, as a child. And I think a child, it doesn't mean to be immature. It just means to come, come to God with that childlike faith. And that's putting aside all this stuff, um, all of this macho, all of this stuff in life. And uh, I, just, I just became a child before God. That's what I did. I got out with tattoos. I'm, I hide them today because uh, I don't want, I'm not proud of it. And so what was the change from that mindset to start using again when you do get out? Um, what was the time frame there? Uh, it was about six months, I think. Um, you know, that's, there's an area that I don't want to talk about because um, it, it really would cause scars. But uh, I went to Humboldt Recovery. I paroled to Humboldt Recovery. And they had a gym membership free. I could go to the gym and lift weights. And so um, I thought, shoot, I got tattoos. I need to be big, you know. And so um, I'm living my own life. Um, disregarded my wife. Disregarded my kids. Um, and so I'm, I'm doing my thing, you know. And um, so I went to the gym and I started lifting. And I kept lifting and lifting and lifting. And, and uh, I got pretty good size. I was benching over 300 pounds which today I could put 150 up, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, and uh, suntan booth, they had a tanning booth. It was um, power and fitness at the time. And then um, some steroids, uh, I was introduced to some steroids. So you were trying to get jacked and tan. You wanted to f really oh, yeah. fit that yeah, persona. Yeah, wear a tank top with tattoos and KD sunglasses, whether it was raining or not. You know, just wanted to look like I was some tough guy. Uh, my trainer, she was a professional trainer. She was into building men. Um, she told me before, she said, don't you ever start doing steroids because if you do, um, that's it. I'm not going to train you. I won't even be associated with you. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Well, um, so I got introduced to steroids. I'd been on them for about a month and I really felt them kicking in. Uh, it was Anadrol and some testosterone and some other stuff um, that I'd, I'd been taking. And um, so I started... Um, really just hammering it at the gym, you know, and my traps were getting big and my lats and, and biceps and my chest. And I, I had a, I had a 24 pack for a gut, you know, I was just rippled. Um, and then one day, um, my trainer came to me and she said, as she was walking by, she stopped and she looked at me, she goes, are you on steroids? And, um, I was like, no, why? And she goes, because your jaw is square. So I had started to get a chisel jaw. She knew. And when I went back to Humboldt Recovery, we had a group, I think the next day. And Joel, uh, who was the director at the time, he, he mentioned in the group, he said, so I'm hearing that there may be some steroids going around. And uh, so we're going to be testing today after lunch um, for steroids. And I was like, oh, no. So I go back to my house thing there and um, we ate lunch and... Joel was outside and sitting on the back tailgate of his truck. And I went up to him and I said, Hey, Joel, um, I got to talk to you. And he just looked at me with this big smile. Right. And I said, I said, yeah, I've been doing steroids. And he goes, yeah, I know. And uh, he smiled at me. He goes, we don't have a test to test for it either. <laughs> Truth in the shit, they got me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
anyway, long story short, uh, I was going to College of the Redwoods to become a, a drug uh, abuse counselor. And so I had taken addiction studies and hadn't been in school for 20 years. And I got really good grades and, and spring semester came or spring break came. I uh, started working for a local furniture company, um, started making pr pretty decent money. And then when school started again, I just decided to stay in the job. Well, ended up, but one thing led to another, um, started, uh, moved out of Humboldt Recovery into uh, the owner of the furniture company's um, house. And uh, he had a house up by the zoo. Uh, and so me and my buddy, uh, Chris, and his girlfriend moved in there. And so I, one day I was mowing the lawn and I thought, gosh, I'm missing something. And I was like, ah, beer. Yeah. So I went down to the store got some beer and um, started drinking beer. And before you know it, I'm on meth again. And that's when the Ace Hardware trailer and all that stuff after I had, yeah. I got back with my wife and got her strung out on meth again too. So me getting arrested actually saved my wife's life because uh, she was limping and, and it was just having some physical problems come to find out she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis yeah and so um we've been married for 34 years now so i'm still married she's stuck with me a knucklehead so but yeah it was uh tough tough times um again like i say this is the first time i've shared my kind of an in-depth testimony for quite some time but, yeah um, i don't know i just felt led to kind of share with you you're well, pretty think, good at asking questions. Well, I think it's an important story to tell because it's relatable. I mm -hmm. mean, how many times you hear that same trope of people falling down this hole? Like, it's a very human experience. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's it's a painful one. Mm -hmm. But it can lead to where you are now. I mean, look yeah. at where you are now. It doesn't have to be this all-encompassing all black hole that you just stay in. Right. You you can find a way out. Yeah. Not, not that that's going to be easy. Mm -hmm. It's easier said than done, but you can get out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you're the perfect person to talk to about that because mm -hmm. your story, it is one that shows, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I fell, mm -hmm. you know, and now I'm out. Yeah. And you can do that too. Yeah. It's not, uh, there's, I'm not unique. I right. didn't do anything special. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. And it's better now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of things that we can do. Um, we can man can change his habits and behaviors, but only God can change his nature. And when the nature on the inside changes through a born again experience with Christ, then the habits follow along. Uh, the behaviors change. Um, that's what happened to me. I'm a firm believer in Jesus. And so how did you find God? So you're in jail. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Years ago. Yeah. And that just stuck with you. It never left me. And that's why I say I think that I had Jesus in my heart when I was six, five, six, seven years old. And scripture says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he'll be with me even to the end of the age. And I thought, well, I look at it now. I didn't read a Bible when I was a kid and I never did throughout my years, but I and I, but I couldn't explain how I didn't get shot, how I didn't end up dead, the things I've done, the places I've been, the people I was around. Maybe these are ruthless killers. I mean, in Humble County, you know. Um, how how is it that I didn't find myself six feet under? Um, I really believe that God had a protective bubble around me and um, allowed me to go through a lot of hard stuff, um, but it spared my life. It spared my life. There's no doubt about that.
what do you think the connection is? Because a lot of programs, recovery programs, are faith-based. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's necessary for you to believe in something, just in some higher power for you to be able to climb out of where you are? Or why? Why is there always that inclination to attach religion to it? Um, I mean, clearly it's helpful. I mean, look at, again, where you are and yeah. hearing you talk about that. But that's yeah. something that I've noticed. They normally are tied to that. There's that religious undertone of yeah. somebody's looking out for you. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's that can open such rabbit holes of conversation. Um, you know, um, a heroin addict in a ditch uh, with a needle stuck in his arm knows he's in a ditch with a needle stuck in his arm, right? Um, and he himself can't get himself out of that. So many people have friends and people who are clean and sober through AA or NA, uh, the fellowship, who um, are there. And it takes, you know, a, a reaching out. Somebody reaches out their hand and says, I need some help. And there are people to help. So for me, I couldn't get, I couldn't be where I am today had it not been for um, a community of people. Uh, rooting for me, helping me, assisting me, encouraging me, correcting me, um, just all kinds of, you know, um, dynamics, uh, how people have helped me. Um, a higher power, okay, um, power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. Was I ever really sane, though? You know, uh, was was I from birth... Um, You know, had a kind of a, you know, when I was born, was I, and I have to say, yeah, yeah, I was born with this thing that's called a sinful nature. And um, I had to get that dealt with, you know, uh, repentance. People say, well, you got to repent. Well, what does that really mean? If you look that word repent up, it just means to change your mind. Repentance means that you've turned from those bad things in life. And you started walking good, you know, but it takes people along the way to help you do that, you know, and that's what it took for me is people to help me. Um, I think, um, you know, in the times we're living right now, there's a lot of things happening in this world. Uh, I'm a firm believer in prophecy and, uh, and seeing things that have happened throughout history before I was born, May 14th, 1948, after 2000 years, Israel became a nation again. And that was prophesied in Ezekiel, the scriptures. Um, and there's been so many things that have happened over the years. It's convinced, I'm convinced that uh, that is the only way. And that is the only truth. And that is the only life is Jesus. But there's a lot of people out there under the name of Jesus who have misrepresented true relationship and Christianity to the rest of the world because they've uh, come at it with a religious... Um, stick. Uh, real religion, real true Christianity is right down there on 2nd Street, loving on the people that come into that mission and meeting their needs and taking care of them and counseling with them and spending time with them and talking with them, becoming their friend. And I've seen over and over and over people that you look at and you think, that guy's never going to make it. 
and have come in and have come in. Some have come in for a while into our program and then left and they had to lose all their teeth and, and lose 40, 50 pounds and they come back uh, and then they go back out again. But I've seen them come back in and successfully complete our program, um, get new dentures, and they are literally not the same people they used to be. Brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. Is it hard for you sometimes watching that journey though? Can you see someone... Mm -hmm. and say it's a 10-step process mm -hmm. and they think they're at rock bottom but you see them and you think oh you're only at step three like it's <laughs> if you keep making these choices it's going to yeah. get worse yeah i would imagine that'd be hard knowing what's at the bottom of that of that pit yeah. and just wanting to pull them up and say hey stop because i can tell you where this goes and it's not you're not gonna like it and how often do people actually listen to that i make them listen to that you do i do mm-hmm i'll pull somebody that's not in our program, that's homeless, um, because I've developed a relationship and friendship with them. It's not just I pick some random person and say, where you're going is, you know. No, it's because I've built relationships and friendships. I, I get to know their stories. Uh, I see them over a period of time, and, and there's times when I've pulled a little guy named Paul. Um, I pulled him into the office because he was, you know, doing well for a while, and then, and then he just sucked up. And he's, he's on meth, you know, and I see him around town doing stupid stuff, and I I caught him at the mission one day, and I said, hey, come here. And he pulled him in the office, and I shut the door, and I said, go ahead, sit down. And I just said, in fact, I was pretty emotional with him. And um, I think my my emotion, my care for him, I didn't grab him and say, you know, this you're going to die like this. Uh, it was more of a... Um, it was more of a worried... And I think I conveyed to him that I really love you, brother. I really do. And I hate to see you having to live like this. And I know you don't want to live like that, you know. And he just, he started crying, you know, and he said, you're right. Did that change him? No. But did that make an impression in his heart? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Because I actually genuinely care. Yeah. It's easy to throw rocks at people. Yeah. It's the difficult part is actually bringing them in and, 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 and working with them. That's, you know, oh, that's a homeless piece of trash or that's a homeless piece of trash uh, rather than stopping and saying hey let's get to know each other a little bit you know um and that takes work that really takes work it takes genuine care and concern in your heart and love for people those are living breathing human beings just happen to be falling into some bad stuff in life made some bad bad choices and now they're suffering the consequences and the community's suffering the consequences on needles everywhere i'm sick to my stomach about these needle needle handouts i i can't disagree with that anymore it's just i'm furious about it why would you give an a using addict um apparently addiction is a disease they've rated it as a disease why would you give somebody a fresh brand spanking new needle so that they can keep from getting hepatitis or whatever else disease if addiction is you're just giving somebody a needle for a disease to stop or prevent another disease it doesn't make any sense you're making it easier because i used the needle exchange when i was out there on drugs it was great yeah yeah and did i care where i threw them no you know it's just it's it's a wrong thing to do it's a harm reduction model but that part of it is wrong even though even with that argument of it'll stop the spread of hepatitis and AIDS and all these things. Yeah, but you're enabling the spread of the disease of addiction. That doesn't stop drug use. Yeah, you're adding mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're adding to it. And, I mean, I had a bag of needles and, you know, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't share after somebody. I mean, you can use a brand new needle with somebody else and put it in the same spoon with your drugs in it. 
and you can still catch something, you know? So, and how do you know what's in the drugs? How do you know somebody didn't spit in it or put their own blood in the, you know, you just don't know. What do you make of that argument? Because that's a new thing that they want to do. They want to have these safe injection sites. Well, they, they'll give you everything. They'll give you the drug. They'll give you the needle yeah. mm. so that they know that drug's clean. Yeah. They're not going to get yeah, they've, fentanyl. They've lost their freaking mind. It is a weird time. It's a weird that time. That we're in with it's, that. It's, it's lawlessness. And the love of many will grow cold. Why would you want to give somebody that's struggling with a drug addiction a place to do drugs and good drugs? You know, it's like, why not? Do you not? think that's just a wrong, like they're misplacing compassion? Because I think oh, their yeah. heart's in the right place. They want to help these people. Well, I get it. Yeah, but they're... But, but they're, they're going about it the wrong way. They're going about it completely the wrong way. Why would you want to allow a person to... You're taking illegal substances. And okay, so you say you legalize meth. Okay, it's okay. They've legalized pot now. Um, what's next? Heroin? What's next? Legal fentanyl? It's ruining people's lives. It's ruining our communities. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Do you think you can use a drug like heroin and still have a fine life where you're not, or at least a non-criminal life or a life where you're not hurting yourself or your family? Some people can. Some people can. I don't know many. I don't know any 70, 80-year-old heroin addicts. They... 40s 50s and then they overdose now the meth has fentanyl in it they call it fetty uh heroin tar heroin used to be all over the place a few years ago and now i spoke with the sergeant eureka police and he said yeah they can't even they don't even see heart tar heroin anymore it's all fentanyl so yeah. do you think that that argument then carries some weight the argument that they should be supplying the drugs or at least legalize them so we know what's in them absolutely not because that just exacerbates absolutely. the problem if you got cancer you go to the hospital, you're on hospice, they give you drugs, by all means. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're dying and you're in terrible pain, by all means. Yeah, if that's, but somebody that's not, why would you want to give somebody drugs that's not sick and dying? My goodness sakes, isn't going down to the bar and having a few beers, isn't that enough? I mean, why would you want to legalize heroin? And leg it's just ridiculous. It's stupid. Stupid. There is the argument that it's a weird distinction, the alcohol versus the drug. Because isn't alcohol kind of a drug? It How is. many people ruin their lives with alcohol? Oh, yeah. yeah. But you get the freedom to choose that. Mm -hmm. So there are those people that say, well, mm -hmm. why can't I have the freedom to choose if I want to do cocaine, if I want to do heroin? Why can't yeah. I do that? I mean, where does that go? How do you... Well, I think is you know, there's, there is a difference. Yeah, there's a difference in drugs. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially between heroin and alcohol, right? Yeah. I mean... Big difference. Yeah. yeah. I I had but Lazara actually Firefox on a while ago, and she was the director of Hatcher. Mm -hmm. And she made the point that she knows people who use heroin and have productive lives. Mm -hmm. But I've never, I've never heard of that. You mm -hmm. know, not discounting what she said, but that's definitely rare if that's a real thing. But you do have the case where people can use alcohol... And not, yeah. it's not a given that you're going to throw away your life. Mm -hmm. I think a big difference is, um, you know, a person can go have a beer or have a glass of wine with dinner. Maybe they'll have two beers. Okay. But say you put some heroin in a syringe, right? Just a little bit. And you stick it in your arm uh, and you shoot it. Um, there's a big 
difference than being under the influence of that and having a beer or two, okay? Because you just stuck a drug in your arm. By the time that thing hits your heart and your mind, uh, you're loaded. The potency of it. You snort one line of meth and you're up, used to be for three days. Um, you know, you could drink that's a beer. That's so and go crazy. Sleep. Three days. That's back in the day. Yeah, that's back in the day. Five days. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be a terrible for you when you finally come down yeah three days you start seeing things yeah and then you kind of over over time you you kind of know that's going to happen and you just don't pay any attention to the hallucinations and stuff yeah it was yeah jesus (laughs) i know we need him we need jesus the name above all names man three days without sleep oh no i've been up for a week without without any sleep sleep. straight on yeah jesus yeah yeah, Jesus. Yeah, it's a. That's crazy. How <laughs> yeah. wrecked is your body? Well, I guess it's it, bad. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. I could eat a whole box of cornflakes. You know, I was so malnutrition. I was just skin and bones way back then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We're in a weird time where the compassion thing is causing people to do some really weird things. I feel that way about diet. The fact that. Mm-hmm. People are promoting not just being a little overweight, you know, because we everybody's there sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you go, your weight fluctuates, but severely and morbidly obese and people are promoting that. And that's, that's always odd to me because that's, what's the difference between that and, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day? Mm-hmm. Like it, it leads to the same thing. You're not being healthy. You're not taking care of yourself. All right. But, yeah. and I think it's, it's got to be that compassion aspect where people care. Yeah. They just don't know how to direct that in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. They're enabling. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. Have you tried, I mean, that needle exchange program especially, that is huge throughout California. Mm-hmm. Why is there not more pushback for that? Are they not hearing this side of the side of, Hey, this is not good for them. I think there is a big pushback. It's just not, um, it's not given the attention in various uh, avenues of media. Um, a lot of mainstream news isn't showing all the news, you know, um, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, I think maybe it's just some people just don't have the gonads to speak up sometimes. And some people have such a loud voice and they scream and yell all the time. And, and that, that that's not going to do any good. Maybe you should sit back and take a few minutes or days to evaluate and strategize. Um, that's who I am now is I'll stay back and watch. And I'll think, how can I make uh, a difference? I mean... Um, screaming and hollering about it isn't making a difference, but reaching the people who are affected by it, um, that's making a difference. And the people who are a part of it, that's making it, that's often for me as a one-on-one with a lot of people. Yeah. And making a difference that way is, is, uh, spending time with people that are active users and, and, uh, having heart to heart conversations and, and over time, they like they come to our program. I, I'm really biased. Our, our program is the best program. 
uh, we have a huge success rate of our graduates who are still doing good. You know, we got guys that owns his own carpet company. Uh, another guy's working on becoming co-owner of a granite company here in Eureka. Another guy's driving semi truck, bought his own truck all over the United States. We've got, we've got just really good stuff. So that for me is, um, um, Working on the ones who are receiving those needles and getting those needles, um, becoming friends with those people and, and, and sharing hope with them because their hope is in a needle. You know, that's a, that's a power greater than their self, you know, and they have control somewhat of that, um, so that they can gauge how much they're going to get high. And, um, but I, I'm all about Jesus, man. I really am. You know, you, you, you can take away the drugs and, um, and then what do you got left? You know, you got to have something in your life. You know? Well, and it seems like that one-on-one -on -one connection is so crucial to that mm -hmm. aspect of recovery. And yet you alienate that through drug use. Oh yeah. Like, cause you're stealing from friends and you're yeah. pushing away family members. Mm -hmm. So the people that could help you, you've pushed so far away now they can't. And so yeah. what do you do? How do you reach out to someone to get help when you've burned them so many times? Well, they usually come to the mission because they've... They don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have anywhere else to go, yeah. We're at the bottom of the barrel, man. We deal with the people that nobody else wants to deal with. Yeah. And there's treasures. <laughs> well, yeah, people yeah. aren't lost causes. Right. 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 You can save everyone. Or you can't save everyone. But I think in that in your field... One life at a time. Yeah. Changing lives one life at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Good diet, good exercise, good chores, good responsibilities, rules, structure, um, not overly structured. Um, some programs let, uh, they keep people from smoking. We allow them to have their cigarettes and many of them throughout the year that they stay are like, yeah, I'm done with this stuff. And they, and cause we don't provide cigarettes for them. Um, so, and they don't get money from the mission. So it's, it's kind of a, you know, chasing down tobacco and there's guys that have given up smoking since they've been there too so so walk me through your program what mm -hmm. what is the first step someone shows up is everyone that's staying at the mission are they all in the program or no. you can choose okay no they, we have i think 20 20 men we do have a women's program we've had that up and running for three years i think in july um they, they come in it's your program phase one or candidate phase it's about 30 days and uh, it's a time for the person to say yeah i want to be here um, we can talk with them, see how they're doing. Hey, look, you're not getting up on time. You know, it's just a time of really kind of feeling things out. And then they become a phase one, which there's really no difference. It just means that you're technically in the program. Um, four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we have volunteer pastors, teachers that come in and they just teach the Bible. We don't have a curriculum. They just teach the Bible. Um, and the men and women, um, there's no testing there's no homework. A couple of one of our our chaplain, who's a volunteer, uh, he does little tests. So he'll teach a chapter, or he'll say next week we're gonna are gonna be a test on this on this chapter of Galatians or something. Um, and so then people are prepared, and he puts a test out, and we get, you know, most of them get ninety to one hundred percent because they paid attention. And so over time, that word, that Bible right there, goes in people, and it changes them. It washes their mind. They're brainwashed with the Word of God. And their hearts are changed. And they're new creations in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
That's what happened to me. I didn't read the Bible to have that happen. I had an experience that happened. And then I started reading the Bible. And when I read the Bible, that scripture jumped off the page. And it was like, that's what happened to me that night. That's what happened. It's the Bible. That's all our program is, is just teach the Bible. And love on the people coming in at night. Are they working or they're... Not, not jobs. No. Not jobs. But nope. they're working around the mission mm-hmm. and working with yep. the mission. Yep. Clean up the... Clean up uh, Eureka. Pick up needles. Um, we do all kinds of... We set up for the 4th of July. Uh, we set up Friday night markets. Um, we're involved in the community. We have all kinds of things that we do. Um, our guys are very active out at the Samoa Drag Strip during race season. We have a crew of guys that has been going out there for a long time. Um, all the racers love our guys. You'd never know that they were once homeless drug addicts uh, or alcoholics. And so these guys are announcing at the track. They're uh, at the water box, burning them off. They're all doing all kinds of things at the ticket booth and all kinds of stuff. So we're, we're really involved in the community in a lot of ways. Sometimes uh, we don't wear shirts to say I'm from the rescue mission. You know, uh, we just do those things and we don't draw attention to ourselves, except for me here right now, you know, pitching about the mission, you know, so. And so is that phase one that's phase one that's once you're in one that's uh, the whole thing. you just you, in order to leave the facility you have to have a phase two so phase one is you're in the program uh after about three or four months depending on the person uh, they can become a phase two that means they can leave the facility for like four hours but they sign out and they sign in so there's structure it's not overly structured but there is structure and is that to limit their exposure to possible drug use or to kind of still keep them in a in the space somebody's going to use they're going to use you know we do so random, what's with the what's the idea testing. behind the four hour it just keeps them in uh it, it's a rule is that just so you can watch over them keep an eye on it's them? it's a rule rules need to be followed yeah is there a purpose behind it yeah i think it's probably varies from person to person as to their interpretation of it but it's a rule you know why not be able to drive 75 on the freeway well it says the rule is 65 um so it's just a rule. Um, I think that, you know, um, what business does somebody have leaving the facility for more than four hours? Unless they want to go be with family and we can extend that. They can, yeah, you can, I've even let guys go spend the night with their, with their wife, which is fine, as long as they're married. Um, go have dinner with mom and dad and spend eight, 10 hours with them. They can go Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it's not like you're, you're where you hold them to our, but we work with each one individually. But yeah, it's just, Kind of a four four hour deal. Uh, phase two can be gone for four hours and has to come back. Mm. And is that the final phase? Mm-hmm. And so the whole program is about a year long. Mm-hmm. It is a year long. Mm-hmm. It is a year long. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to wash them with the Bible and wash out everything and we give them some hope. We brainwash people with the Bible. <laughs> Respectfully, um, it is the best thing uh, in the world. Yeah, it it is, is a powerful tool. It is extremely powerful. It takes all of those thoughts of self-condemnation. Um, oh, there's no hope. You know, the why am I even here? Um, I'll never make it. It takes all of those thoughts and it washes them away. And it gives you hope, gives you encouragement, gives you security. I know when I, when I die, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. That's a question we all ask. Is there really a heaven? Is there really a life after this life? And there is. There is, yeah. Yeah. And so that scripture 
Uh, I don't force into people. There's a difference between talking to somebody and talking into somebody. And um, I find that many times uh, when somebody's sharing the word, um, they have no idea, but it's going right inside of me, you know? Yeah. Are most of the people coming into the program, are they homeless and using drugs? Or are they just homeless? It varies. Uh, some people come from, you know, recommended by family. We've had people come from different states. They've heard about our program. Uh, I think the furthest that we've had is somebody from Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they've come to our program. Uh, we had a guy from Alabama. Uh, Olympic Stadium, um, out of Alabama. It's, uh, anyway, another state. Yeah, he's, uh, and he's back. I don't know how he's doing now, but but he graduated our program as well, so. That's got to make you feel good. Yeah. The words are getting out. Yeah. Program's helping people yeah. and people want to come use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People that have had a lot of money and have spent a lot of money. Are you primarily donation-based? All privately funded. All privately funded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we're right now, um, we can house 34 women and children uh, in our facility, our women's shelter and children's shelter. Um, but we're in the midst of a renovation. And so we have it broken into three phases. Uh, two years, three years ago, uh, the estimate for the whole project was like 900,000. And now it's a million six. And um, I'm. I'm the fundraiser for the mission. I don't have a fundraising campaign team. So, um, and I, and it's all privately funded. We don't get state federal funding, none of that stuff. Um, local community people, uh, Humboldt area foundation, some grant monies, um, just different things that come. Um, and some people just, uh, just recently, uh, uh, a local person sold some stock or, or gave us some stock it sold. And so we, we were able to get some money from that. That We have uh, longtime donors that have donated to the mission for years since I've been there. Um, I see some of the checks that come in and the squiggly lines and you know that they're old people, you know, because they really know. I, I, my job is to bring to the community of what's really going on at the mission. And we send out a newsletter, a quarterly newsletter, and um, I just share stories of um, program members and graduates and women at the shelter. Uh, we had see so many people going from homelessness to housing. Um, so just turning it inside out for people to see, especially our donors, and um, trying right now to raise money for our women and children's shelter remodel. So we're, we're got the bottom floor. Two-thirds of the bottom floor is has a new concrete floor, and they're putting up structure. Um, and framing and stuff for the for the rooms. So uh, I don't know if anybody is out there where the camera is. We need money. It's up there. That would, yep. We need money. And this is, I mean, this is going to change people's lives. This is not, this, and women and children, 23, 24, I think it's 23, 24 women and children that we can house right now. Uh, when we're finished with the project, if we can do all three phases, we'll have uh, right around 70 uh, capacity for 70 women and children. Now, the desire to separate the women and children from the men, is that a domestic abuse? Some, some, yeah, yeah. Uh, years ago, there was a lady that was picked up, Southern Humboldt. Um, she was waiting for a bus, and some guy grabbed her, got a hold of her, and took, well, I wouldn't say grabbed her, but she apparently willingly went with him to his house. Or he was going to give her a ride or something. Anyway, locked her in a bedroom. And she was able to climb out the window 
and uh, went out to the freeway, got to the freeway, um, and a CHP picked her up, uh, and they immediately brought her to our shelter. I didn't even know about it. And so sometimes things like that happen, and we hold them, and then they get into some kind of a domestic abuse or, you know, a battered women's shelter somewhere. But we, we take care of them, yeah. Sometimes we're the first place people go. Mm-hmm. And so your women's program, is that based around the same thing? Same thing. It's just different, geared for women. Um, they actually have a table uh, in with the men through the classes in the day. Um, they have their own little table there. And so, you know, them them coming in, uh, typically I've always been accustomed to sharing man stuff. So uh, I just don't go into detail in man stuff, you know, struggles that men might have um, with, the, with the ladies there. So it's really actually um, made it more uh, rounded, the program has. It's really good, yeah. Because now you've got that other perspective. Yeah, yeah, and you get a different perspective from the women, you know, uh, when they talk. Mostly, most of the time, they're very quiet. <laughs> yeah, That's got to be... It adds a new level when you have kids involved, right? <laughs> and you're seeing yes. kids. I'm not to say that you don't feel bad when you see adults doing it. Mm-hmm. But you see a guy who's homeless and you're like, yeah, but you see, you know, a girl in her 20s and she's homeless and she has a kid. And you're like, yeah. gee, it just, it yeah. hits a different chord. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. Have you noticed, you've been with the mission for how long? 17, 18 years. 18 like years. That. Have you noticed it get better at all? The problem around the homeless? Has it changed? Are less people becoming homeless or more people becoming homeless? Because that's all California does is tout the programs, right? We've got all these great programs. We've got all this stuff. We're putting all this money towards it. We're building housing for the homeless. And it just seems like the problem keeps growing. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Almost like on purpose. Well, it's a business. People are making... That's the crazy thing. People are making so much money. I know, yeah. Profiting off people who have nothing. Stuff, yeah. You know, I've always... um, And I'm not against housing for people. I think that's a good thing. But if you take somebody off the street that has a drug problem and has a... And I say this cautiously. I don't want people to misconstrue my words. With a welfare mentality. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying that that's just the system of thought that they have. Um, And you take that person out of being homeless, and then you put them into a home or an apartment um, without following up with counsel and that person being willing to listen and abide by the rules. It won't be long. If if they're not... um, how long is that person going <laughs> to tear up the apartment, going to bring all their buddies over and get high? Yeah, who knows? But so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you need to deal with somebody's spiritual condition first. And then everything else falls into place after that. There's a difference from working from the outside in or from the inside out. Well, that's what we address at the mission. It's a nature change. Yeah. Well, there's, there's clearly something wrong. They're struggling with something. And it's just manifesting as mm-hmm. drug use. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned... You had pain, and that's kind of what started the alcohol? No, when I was a little boy, my dad would give me beer. But, yeah, he was an alcoholic. He was. Yeah, so it was a difficult 
I mean, it wasn't like my family was all torn up or anything. But, but... did you have any physical injuries? No. No. Okay. No, That's no. one that you do hear. I thought you said yeah. that. My bad. No. That's one that comes up quite a bit is people have physical injuries. Mm-hmm. They start using painkillers. Sure. Well, yeah. In, later in the years. Goes. I did. Oh, Working okay. in the song, oh, okay. I got neck problems. And oh, everything. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 But did, not when I was little, no. But did that exacerbate? Because it sounded like you were the type of guy who you go full stop. So you start drinking and then it goes to the next thing and then it goes to the next thing and then you're back. Yeah. Is that, yeah. did the pain play into that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that a lot with people coming I to the mission? So. Yeah. I think there's a few people that you can tell they've that they're, they've got chronic pain. That's yeah. what worries me is mm-hmm. how many people are just in pain. Right. And either can't seem to get rid of that pain because they don't have yeah. the funds to go get yeah. whatever surgeries they need or whatever help they need mm-hmm. or just get hooked on painkillers. That's And yeah, it that's... starts the path for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's That scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Those, I mean, the opiate epidemic, that mm-hmm. fact that that happened and is still, you're still seeing the ripples from that. Yeah. Yeah. There's just not a desire. Or... And then they're pumping fentanyl across the border like crazy. Non-stop. Open borders right now. Just coming in by the tons. I have heard they're busting them out of Texas, I believe. Oh, sure. They're busting the them. Yeah. yeah, they may bust them with, you know, a thousand pounds of fentanyl over there to get six or eight thousand in from over here. You know, draw the attention over there and that way you can bring in the big the big one, you know. Maybe maybe there's people allowing it to come in. You know. Well, there is the argument that legalizing drugs would at least solve that. It would solve the drug trade. You wouldn't have these drugs coming in from the south because you would be producing them here and you'd be giving them to people like you do with weed. Okay. Well, let's take a look at that. Okay, so uh, marijuana is legal, um, and so uh, legal grows, okay? Uh, so say you have, you know, a plot of land, and you have your, your grow houses, and you're legal, and your permits, and all that good stuff, and, and so um, does that mean that that person with their legal grow isn't going to grow more somewhere else and sell that on the black market? Well, I think that's you know the that's the problem with that idea currently is we still have the black market because some states do still have it, mm-hmm. you know, criminalized. So yeah. it, I think their thought process is if it's legal across the board, mm-hmm. there's no need yeah. for that black market yeah, because I, it's legal. Yeah. Well, without getting into politics or end time prophecies or my concept or my understanding of the scriptures, um, one thing that may be um, celebrated by some would be a central bank digital currency where fiat money or cash money no longer has any worth to it, which it doesn't really right now, but um, that would stop you know, the exchange of money, sex trade, drug trade. If everything was central bank digital currency card only, you know, and then... Uh, bartering for sex or bartering for drugs with cash money is no longer because there's no worth to it. So I don't know. You ever thought about that? Yeah. It scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. The idea. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not a big Bitcoin guy mainly cause I haven't 
dug into it enough. Yeah. But I understand the concept that it's decentralized and that's why it's so great is because you can't, nobody can shut it down right, and right. the government doesn't have any control. Well, the government's going to have to have control. Well, that's why I'm, they're pushing for a centralized currency. Right. People wanted, but you have China. That's what China is. And where does that go? Well, then you have this credit score tracking system where they're just monitoring people. And if you don't have a high enough score, you can't leave your town. You can't get a plane ticket. You can't do all these things. Well, read Revelation chapter 13. This seems to be a big thing for you. I want to talk about this because <laughs> you, there, I have heard the sentiment that we are in a weird point and that Jed is going to hit the fan and that's the Bible interpretation of that. Do you, are you relating a lot to that? You know, I've, um, yes and no. Okay. I think, um, you know, it's easy to get really far off, which I have far off into that, um, you know, into that line of thought. Um, Nobody knows what time what's going to happen. Not everybody's a prophet. Um, we just, even people who don't know the Bible, um, who some don't even believe in God, know there's something going on, and they sense something is about to happen. Something big is going to happen. They just have this weird um, feeling. I've talked to several people who said they just, really feel like something big, but something big and bad is going to happen, you know, like a sense of doom. People have that, that don't even, that are not Christians, that don't, don't know the Bible, but they've heard, you know, Nostradamus said this or that, but they, but they're sensing things are really, uh, have gone awry in the world. And oftentimes, you know, you like, you'll see an iceberg in the ocean, um, and you see it's a pretty good sized iceberg, but really it's bigger underneath the water. And so that's kind of the concept that people are having is that what we're seeing going on, um, with the collapse of countries and their and their uh, economies and and uh, Sri Lanka and you know just just strange things happening that are unexplainable. There's a a group called the World Economic Forum uh, with Klaus Schwab and you pull up that video. You shall own nothing and be happy. Yeah. So typically, what we um, what we see World Economic Forum. Um, you can just Google, you shall have and nothing. And then there's Yuval Noah Harari, who's kind of a spokesperson for that. And, and they're looking at evolving people into... Um, I'm sorry, can you just pull your mic just out just a tad bit? Perfect. Evolving, We're evolving. They're going to... Uh, it's called transhumanism, right? Um, evolving that, into... That, yeah, that, that computers and, and electronics will join together with biology, human computer chips. And I think it is Elon Musk's Neuralink, uh, something within the brain and stuff like this. So they're looking to evolve into, I mean, they're, they're even considering or talking about or, or um, discussing that they might be able to take the consciousness of, of a person and put it into, you know, another body or something. It's, it's kind of like, way out wacko conspiracy stuff but these people are talking about it it's not me they're the ones talking about it you know and and there's some scriptures in the bible i don't know i know in daniel i think it's daniel it's one that talks about um talks about the seed um i don't want to misquote it but almost like uh, technology and 
humanity is going to try to come together, but, uh, you know, it's not going to adhere to each other. So, um, and then there's the mark of the beast, the 666, you know, and, and he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, bond and free to receive a mark on the right hand or the forehead. Um, that scripture is in Revelation 13, that no one be, will be able to buy nor sell, um, except he, he who has the, the, the mark of, of the beast or the number of his name. Um, what, what is that? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, but it seems to me that there's a financial aspect to that that's connected with the human aspect. So our bodies will be connected in some way to currency. So you can't buy anything unless you have a mark. Well, is that a chip? I don't know. Is that a tattoo? Is that some kind of a um, an invisible tattoo? Or is that a, you know, a, a blue light to something? We just don't know what it is. But when we look at the whole of the scripture, we see the way things are going in the world. If it was just our nation right now, um, suffering the things that we're suffering in this nation, um, I would say, you know, we're going to be all right. You know, I, we'll, we'll get through this. But this is a global thing going on right now. This is not just the United States. This is global. All around the world, things are happening. It doesn't feel like we're on solid ground. <laughs> and I've often said, um, man, it's things are just falling apart. But, but when I read my Bible, um, and I read throughout the Scripture, I don't have a particular, I don't search for this to uh, support my idea of something. I just read it the way it is. Um, I see um, it looks like things are falling apart. It really does. And when I read my Bible, I realize, ah, maybe things are falling together. Falling together in the way that the Bible is said. Yeah. It's the only book of books ever written to speak in detail about future events and never been proven wrong. And it talks about a point where humans and machines, in some regard, try to reach this symbiotic point. Where they just they come together and merge? Yeah, you know, there's a really, really great teacher. Um, and you can search out Chuck Missler. It's, and he's, he's passed on now, but his teachings are more alive today than ever before. If you search out Chuck Missler, M-I-S-S-L-E-R, Chuck Missler, and you can, uh, you can uh, type in transhumanism. Oh, right down there, right, there it is right at the there. bottom. Yeah, transhumanism. Yeah, you know, um, when this, when I started hearing about the World Economic Forum and what Klaus Schwab was saying, and then Noval, something Harari, and they were talking, and I was listening to him. I was like, "You got to be kidding me! These people are." And so this has been a while back. And so one night I thought, "Gosh, you know this." And then uh, there's a patent number. I think Microsoft, Bill Gates, or something. It's W O two O two O six O six O six. Uh, that's a um, patent, something about currency and body, something to do with it. I, di I didn't really read all the way through it, but it was like, oh, my goodness. But that caused me to go to Chuck Missler when I went to bed one night because um, I like to have my phone with teaching or something, you know, that uh, podcast or something. I might listen to you sometime now that I know who we are. <laughs> um, and I'll go to bed, you know, and I'll fall asleep. With, yeah, yeah. But uh, that night I... Because it's, weird things were happening. I'm finding out this information. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What do these people want to do? Rule the world? Yeah. Um, so I, I and, and talking about uh, the blending together of computers and people and 
transhumanism stuff. And so I think Yuval Harari mentioned the word transhuman. And I thought, ah, Chuck Missler had something like that. So I, I put Chuck Missler on that night. I went to bed and is an hour teaching and I did not fall asleep. Chuck Missler. And what, what is this guy? You can look up his bio. Uh, is he's, he just a no? He was uh, he worked guy? for he worked for um, NASA or something like that. Really super smart guy. Um, and then he and then he, he's just basically been a Bible teacher uh, for years. Yeah, and uh, there's I have an app on my Koinonia House um, is the name of his ministry. And and there's a gentleman I forgot his name who actually just came here not too long ago to Sequoia Conference Center and sh- and did it. A presentation on uh, um, the the mountain of God, um, and they found it in Saudi Arabia. Up at the very top is burnt from the outside, and it's all quarantined off. And uh, but the ancient the Israelites were through over the Red Sea, and they came into uh, Saudi Arabia where the mountain is, Mount, not the traditional Mount Sinai that people go on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, but across the Red Sea into Saudi Arabia, and uh, I can't remember the Mount. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it's it's a mountain, and the very top of the mountain is burnt, literally burnt. And I touched one of the rocks. He had one of the rocks. And they were up there, and they took a rock, and they threw one down, and it's granite, and it broke in half, and it's burnt on the outside. And the Bible talks about that the presence of God came down on top of the mountain with the children of Israel down at the bottom of the mountain, and there was smoke like a furnace. So God came down... And the Bible says God is a consuming fire. So something hot melted those rocks from the outside in. So I don't know where I got from that rabbit trail, but do you have, he's really do good. Do you have that World Economic Forum video? Yeah. Can we watch that? I turn this off. Is it a clip or is it just the whole thing? Oh, it's just a clip. It's a minute and a half. Can you skip forward a little bit? Go, there should be a spot where this guy starts speaking. No, keep jumping ahead. This might not be it. Keep going. Yeah, no, try to see if you can find it's... What is his name? Who's that? The Klaus, Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab. Yeah. Um, see if you can, because there's a clip of him. I think it's K-L-A-S. Yeah, Klaus Schwab. Yeah. And it's wild, and yet they just... Click that, why governments... That might be it. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to participate for the eighth time at this important meeting, even only in a virtual way. Even if only in a virtual way. I would like to express my hakdom for having taken the initiative for creating such an important global Jump up. Keep jumping ahead. There's we might not find it. Of the global we brought together sixty top Keep jumping. Go towards that peak, yeah, up there. Of a dangerous clash between major global powers. History is truly at a turning point. 
We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know the global energy systems... No, this is not... It's alright. There's a point where he says, in the future, you're going to own nothing, nothing and, and you're be happy. going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And that's the World Economic Forum. Yeah. It's already kind of like that, really, though. But isn't that crazy kind to of. go up in a forum like that and say that? Yeah. You will own nothing and you will be happy. <clears throat> Do you own your own house? You're not going to in the future. Well, the thing is, is right now, say somebody owns, say they paid their house off, right? And so um, they own their home. It's theirs. Paid for, bought, paid for. And then I say, don't pay your property taxes. What happens? Can I come take your house? <laughs> We're in a system. We're in a system. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, going back to the Bible, or kind of lining up with where we are now, do you think it's building towards something? I mean, where does it yeah. say we go in the Bible? Is this, where does that go? Um, Is there like know, it says, in the last days, perilous times will come. There will be pestilences, um, wars and rumors of wars. Um, those things are happening, but they've kind of happened before. Um but it seems that the intensity of things are happening. We've not seen in many, many years, you know, a virus um, released into the population of the world and have it so devastatingly uh, affect the world in such a negative way. They shut the world down. Which who saw that coming? Huh? Who saw that coming? I think some people saw that coming and knew that was coming. I'm, you know, I'll admit it right now. I'm a, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I really am. Um, and I wasn't. Years and years ago, I used to listen to Alex Jones, you know, and that guy would turn red in the face and he went to Bohemian Grove and he did sneaky stuff, you know, and filmed it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, and this is way back, so 18 years ago. I, I'd listened to him and some other people. And, um, and he was saying, you know, the um, Illuminati and... Um, I don't think he mentioned like the World Economic for the UN and just things, you know, that he was pointing out stuff and they're going to try to rule the world. And well, I stopped because I was told you just need to read your Bible, Brian. That's what you need to do. And so I'm very grateful uh, that my friend told me that I need to quit listening to that stuff and read my Bible. So I did many years. And then all that stuff that Alex Jones would talk about, it's happening now. And when I see it in the Bible, I see, you know, um, perilous times will come. I don't think that we've seen yet the perilous times. You think it's going to get worse? I do. Yeah. Is it going to get worse soon? I don't know. There's just something that just, I really sense something big is coming. Um, I think that there's, you know, I'm not going to get into politics. Um, how can I say this without painting myself into a corner? Um, give me a second.
is this going to be like a Joe Biden's leading us in a bad direction type thing? No. Oh. No. Um, this podcast goes out to a lot of people, right? <laughs> in the community? It goes out. I mean, it's online. I've, I've come here and shared about the rescue mission uh, and my position at the rescue mission as a director of the rescue mission and reaching out to people in the name of Jesus Christ and seeing people's lives transformed miraculously. And so I really don't want to take off into um, my perception politically um, because I'm pretty darn... Um, I'm very adamant in what I know is happening, okay? Which uh, is? Which is uh, what you see is not really what you get. And I would say that we've been lied to in this country and across the world for a long, long time. Um, I've seen absolute proof that around the world and in our country, the there's questionable things regarding... Um, never mind. I'm just, I'm not going to go there. I want to. I really do. Well, we could have the first cap. The first half of the podcast can be Brian Hall from, you know, the Eureka Mission. This part, this is now just Brian Hall, some guy we found on the street, and we're just talking about. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we'll have a little black mask come across right here. We'll do a little cutscene. Now, this is our second guest of the day. But you feel like you've seen proof to lead you to that. That you think that something's going on behind. I know the there's scenes. something going on. I know there is. But is that a feeling or are you actually... No, it's fact. It's fact. Mm-hmm. Fact. Mm-hmm. How did you get to that fact? It took a while. Yeah. Is this like a research thing? It That's is. What, yeah, a research thing. To to Many other people researching. Um, um, gosh, yeah. It's weird because... I put it on Facebook a little bit. You can look on my Facebook and kind of go, ah, oh, what's he saying, you know? Have you been burned before? Do you... By like public opinion, or I just don't want to. Here's the thing: is um, you don't want to bring branding about bring, the mission. Yeah, if I bring politics and my, you know, I don't want to offend some people who don't see th- things the same way and say, so, well, you know, oh, I offend people every day on this. Well, podcast. Yeah, but see, I have, I have much more to lose in regard you're, to the, you're you're more prestigious. I'm kind of I'm just a podcaster. I well, can say shit and yeah, get away you can. with it. Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, I can tell you off camera, you know, but um, I look at the people that we serve. Okay, and people that donate to the mission that may not have the same political views that I do um, may stop giving because of my political views. And really, I, I understand, and, and that's a, a real reality, but who's it ultimately affecting? Is it affecting me, or is it affecting the people that we serve? If somebody stops funding because I believe a certain thing politically, than they do, and they want to. They're not going to give to a ministry now because the directors, whatever. It's ultimately the people that we serve that will suffer that. And which, so, how sad is that? How sad is it? It that is. We have come... It is. But I, I understand it. I know, you know, but no, I get it. I understand. I just think that it's ridiculous that we are in a state in the world where, because you right. vocalize ideas, and we're not our ideas. Yeah, I say things on this all the time, and then I listen back, and I'm. Yeah, I yeah. come to the conclusion that. I was full of shit yeah. and now yeah. need to rethink that idea. But mm-hmm. just the act of saying, hey, right now I kind of think this, mm-hmm. people can do that. People can mm-hmm. write you off. Yeah, There's no 
discourse anymore yeah. with ideas. I know. There's no I know. It's, us meeting yeah. in the middle or agreeing yeah. to disagree and just yeah. acknowledge, I don't think you're a bad person. I think, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. We've sat here for a while now. You think so? Yeah, I would buy that. But... I fooled them really good this time. <laughs> no. Um, but that's not, people don't come to that anymore. If you say something no. that somebody disagrees with, yeah. now you're a yeah. bad person. Yeah. What does that say about where we are in the world? Well, that's people aren't thinking critically. Yeah. It's groupthink. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel, because social media is a part of everybody's life now, right? I heard you mention you're on Facebook mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that aspect of censorship in your daily life where you want to say things but you can't because you are this figurehead for the mission? I've been kicked off Facebook and put in Facebook jail. You've been, I've, been in, I've been, I've had YouTube yeah. come yeah. knock on my door. I Sometimes I have an Facebook. urge to post something because it's so true, a meme or something, and I'll post it and then the next morning I'll get up and look and, you know, there's a warning you know, this is false information, fake information. I'm like, no, it's not. It's really true. But then it, it takes me back is who's really running this? Who's really running the media? Scripture, I'll always go back to the scripture because that's the most important, is Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Um, it also says in Corinthians, where I was reading this morning, that um, he transforms or metamorphosizes himself into an angel of light. Okay, so let me, let me, I can, I can sp speak on something politically with, with, uh, you don't mind me sharing scripture. No, I, yeah, a, no, you can share concept. What, yeah, you can share whatever you a, want to share. I have a concept, um, and I can show you in scripture because I just read it this morning, just confirmation to me, that there's a light and a dark to the same system. Okay, a light and a dark to the same system. And scripture says that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. Well, what would be the purpose of him transforming himself into an angel of light? Why would he do that? Well, you could deceive. Right. Okay. So now that we've got that his main thing is to deceive, right? And he would transform himself into an angel of light. Would it make sense or would it not make sense if that light of the evil system with the dark and the light. Satan's evil. He's black. He's dark. He's not God. He's defeated already, but he's got a little bit of time remaining. So if he can transform himself into an angel of light, what if he, as an angel of light, overcomes his own darkness and brings to justice all of those people in this world who are doing bad things and um, uh, with a little love for money and their political positions maybe they're involved in worse things and they need to be brought to justice and everybody knows about it what if that light exposes that and brings to justice and the whole world celebrates that light yet the light is evil because he transforms himself into an angel of light but the true light of the world is jesus jesus said i am the light of the world um and then he said, you are the light of the world. The spirit of the living God lives inside of me. So I'm a light in the darkness. What if what happens is light overcomes that darkness and that light is evil? And we, Christians, point it out and say, no, that's an evil light. 
and everybody in the world says, you stupid Christians, these people are being brought to justice. How could you say that that's evil? The Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and I believe um, it could be soon. I don't know the timing of it. But he's not going to be some big ghoul with horns on his head. He's going to be loved by everybody. He's going to be loved. He's going to bring peace. Um, he's going to um, be a great orator. And everybody's going to love him. And welcome him. Even the elect, even the elect of God would be deceived if it were possible, is what the scripture says. There will be such a strong deception in the last days that even the elect would be deceived, if possible. But it's not possible. And the only thing keeping us from being deceived is the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a rapture. You heard about that? The rapture is... Uh, Thessalonians talks about it. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up with him in the air. Um, it's the word harpazo in Greek. In Latin, it's uh, raptura. It's where we get the word rapture. And it, it, it states there's going to be a snatching away of the church, born-again believers, before the tribulation. And you asked me earlier about what could happen. We could be going into, uh, and I say this, it possibly could be going into a time of tribulation and the tribulation, the great tribulation, simply because we're seeing the system the one world currency, they're trying to develop that. Um, central bank digital currencies come right out of um, Joe Biden, small b, <laughs> um, out of his mouth. They're looking to create a one world, or at least right now nationally, but Klaus Schwab, they would like to see a global monetary system, a global government, a one world order, as Alex Jones said years ago. And now it's coming out of these people's mouths, you know. Have uh, you seen the movie This Is The End? I haven't. Mm -mm. Have you seen that, Andy? There's an opening, I think it's the opening scene, takes that rapture into place. And mm -hmm. the good people are lifted up into the air and brought into heaven. And then everybody else is left. That's what I was thinking about yeah. when you were saying that. Was That was the picture. Which, uh -huh. how crazy would that be if yeah, that I actually happened? I know it. People yeah. just start floating in the air. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff. But, you know, when you when you look at it, you go, that's just is impossible. How would people explain that? Well, I don't know. Ask Tucker Carlson. Well, what is the idea behind the Antichrist? Is that... He wants to be worshipped. But that's not the devil. This is just some beat. Devil's going to live in him. He wants to be worshipped, man. Yeah. And you think we're building towards that? That's sure, be coming. It sure seems like it. Sure seems we're like in a it. weird time. It is. We're in a yeah. really weird time. And I've been trying mm -hmm. to think, because I'm only 24, so I don't have it's any... It's time for you to get saved, man, if you're not already. Well, where I was going with that was, <laughs> I don't know if... Obviously, I don't have the life experience to say, okay, you know, we're tracking in these patterns that have happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's really all we are doing is we're just repeating past mistakes, but on a greater scale because we're now more connected than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And the internet is just exacerbating those. Or if we really are just experiencing these huge crises at an accelerated speed. Mm -hmm. And it's just crumbling. Everything's held together with duct tape. Yeah. And now we're starting to see that and realize, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. 
In Ezekiel 37, 38, it talks about um, Israel being our timepiece, part of the center of everything going on, because that's typically what God is dealing with Israel. Okay, They rejected their Messiah 2,000-something years ago, uh, and they're not lost forever. Uh, the, the, the church has not replaced Israel. God is not finished with Israel. Um, and so in Ezekiel, it talks about um, Gog and Rosh and um, Togarma. Um, it talks of Persia. I believe it's Persia. If I have my Bible here, I got my notes in it. But um, uh, th that's the three countries that we can look and locate. Ancient lies is, is, um, is uh, Russia, uh, Iran, and Turkey. Okay, so there, among other nations, would, are going to form an alliance that eventually is going to come against Israel. Okay? And so something we've never seen ever since humanity is Russia, Iran, and Turkey coming together in an alliance. And they have now. They're forming an alliance. Yeah, I got a video of it. Can you Google that, Andy? What um I don't think you can Google that. You might, but I haven't. I just got a Google it like it's not out that they're forming an alliance. Uh, yeah, you can alone? you can dig around on that. Like you'll probably find See it. See if you can find that. Um what's the fascination with Israel? Israel's God's chosen people. The Jews are. And Um, so we see Russia, Iran. Russia, so it's just the leaders yeah. standing next to each other. It's never happened before. And watch what they do, though. It's never happened before that the three of them have met, the three leaders the of those countries. have never come together like that, no. And when they raise their hands in the air... That's, we are together. Yeah. And that was prophesied to what? Very possibly. Very prophesied. Possi is, it, it? is it going to happen now? That well, would wait, be what the was the connection of, with that, that they're going to go against Israel? War of Gog and Magog. We, uh, yeah, it talks about that. Uh, Gog is the leader of Russia. Or, or I don't want to get it all messed up. I have my Bible in front of me. Um, but that could, we could see things kick off over there soon. We know Iran is playing a big part in it. Iran hates Israel. Iran hates the United States. But I think there's a lot of things that have been happening a long time that very possibly um, the... <laughs> I could get into stuff that would... I think there's things been going on that have been blamed on other countries that the United States may have had a hand in and made things happen on purpose. I'll just leave it at that. Because there's a lot of money to be made when there's a war. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of money. Is that, you think that's in relation to... It all comes down to the love of money, power, yeah. Well, the military-industrial complex. Who was oh. the president that gave the speech on that? Was that... Might have been Eisenhower. One of the presidents, former presidents, gave a speech to watch out for the yeah. I, rem I don't the military industrial I, complex. Yeah, yeah. 
Nothing's just a steamroller. Mm-hmm. We're in a weird time. I need to read the Bible. I need to put that on my to-do list. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. If you have any questions? Yeah. Yeah, y'all will yeah. definitely reach out. Yeah, Genesis. That, oh, yeah. It's weird hearing those just, just you know, even if they are just predictions and you leave them at that, just. It's interesting. And, and for me, um, I was so involved in um, current events and things going on. And gosh, I can't, I can't go deep into that. Anyway. It sounds like you were at one point, you went deep into the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. It kind of. And I, then you were pulled back. And yeah. then now you're kind of. Well, I think what it did was created, for me, it created um, cre- uh, critical thinking. Um it created for me it caused me because I, I saw so much stuff that turns out to be fake news and false news and um on purpose stuff put out there it's just like wacko stuff and um you know I just you just take a take a ride in a hot air balloon forty thousand feet and then you can get a bigger picture you know so i've stepped back um some of the the various um channels like say on telegram there's a few channels that i like to look at um, and then I've, I had a bunch and then I just whittled them down because there's some, there's some really wacko stuff people are saying. Um, but I've got it down to just a few. And, and what I primarily, um, really focus on and listen to are, uh, Christian podcasters. Um, Jack Hibbs, love Jack Hibbs. He's awesome. And he's got a really good, uh, system of thought, uh, regarding current events and things, but he's just primarily teaching through the Bible and he brings in cultural things and, and in time things that we have to look look at these things um but primarily i listen to veterans old ones and young ones and there's a veteran you can i'll give you his name and you can search him out his name is derek johnson and i can send you a link to his um website the files that he has it's pretty interesting the problem is there, well, there's two problems. The first problem is the idea of the conspiracy theory. Because mm-hmm. some of that shit is true. And it's just got the branding of, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And so you can just yeah. brush it off. Yeah. The second problem is there are a lot of people who are just crazy. <laughs> just legitimately crazy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. have no idea what they're talking about. They don't. And yet yeah. are charismatic enough. Yeah. And technical enough uh-huh. where they can make a video and get people to believe and some they followers shit. and start giving them money and yeah yeah that's why i stick with good sound doctrine you know good solid christian people i like to listen to and good solid veterans that are christian some of them some of them are not christians um i like to have the perspective from a military point of view military law um, military code those kinds of things um interest me yeah because there's a different law you know you got um law of the water you got uh, federal law you've got uh, law of the land there's a lot of different laws and there's some things that are going on that kind of indicate to me that well maybe something else is going on the behind the scenes that we don't know um, but then in the bigger picture you know i read the scriptures and i see what the scriptures say are we at the end times well i don't know are we where it says that these things are going to happen and the antichrist is coming there's going to be a beast system there's going to be a, a mark of the beast is that there's things that are that are really pointing to that. Um, but it's too soon to say, well, that's it, you know, and dogmatically chase that and say that this is it and, you know, 
tighten up your bootstraps. You know, I, I say that, tighten up your bootstraps. It's going to get interesting. Yeah, things are going to get nuts. I think it's going to get worse mm-hmm. before it gets better. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. We have uh, uh, elections coming up in November. And there's a lot of um, people that are saying that there's um, fraud going on. And people are bringing out information regarding uh, some machines and things that are used for election. And I, I've listened to a few of those things. Uh, it seems pretty credible information, but um, we just don't know. You know, and it's not like you know it's the Democrats and it's the Re- or it's the Republicans. It seems to me that from what I'm seeing is that it's all one big club, and we're just not in it. You know, that's well, what if it you're- seems. Uh, the, a common person, I guess you would say, which is basically all of us that aren't in politics. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a say. You don't have the power. You do have a say, mm-hmm. but we keep using that say to vote in people who just continue to play ball. You know, and I think that's that's the real problem is because uh, according to our constitution, we do have a say. But if there's things that are happening that prevents our voices from being powerful and effective, then we have to address those things. If there is fraud going on, it needs to be uncovered. It needs to be fixed. And our voices do need to mean something because that's the most precious thing that we have in this country is, is, is a voice of a ballot. And if there's question about whether that really means anything, then that needs to be that needs to be dealt with. That needs to be looked at. It needs to be uncovered. And, and we need to have good, um, an ex- a good examination of everything, you know. Well, um, the, uh, the fraud thing is, is hard. Yeah. Voting fraud is hard. Because the idea that there was no voter, take 2020 election, for example. The idea that there was no voter fraud, really... Yeah. Well, of course, there's no voter fraud. There's always but the idea fraud. that there's voter fraud enough to swing the election. Right. Right. I, that would uh, be crazy. Yeah. I don't know. But now it's just such a hot button. I feel that way about the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh-huh. When that first came out, I reached out to a couple of people and I was like, hey, is this a thing? Should I look into this? And nobody knew. And then it just got swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. And then now it's coming back out that, oh, okay. People are starting to get dig into that. Yeah. The, I think it was the New York Post was censored on Twitter for that. Oh yeah, we can we can actually wrap this up. We've been doing two hours. I don't know if you got to get up. I just got to bed. Okay. Uh, do you want to come back? You, you want to keep going? Sure. Okay. Perfect. I was just keeping us because we're going live. I wanted to keep the Still dead live. air. Yeah, I wanted to keep the dead air time. Now oh, we were, were just talking about. about I've done five hour podcasts. We were just talking about that. Then that's when it gets a little. When you're five hours in, you're just along for the ride at that point. <laughs> I listened to one last night, uh, about five hours. I only got the last two of it, so. It is a crazy time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we, we were talking about. Conspiracy theories or. Yeah. But, I mean, it's hard now because it's so easy to label ideas that you disagree with is disinformation that was the big one mm-hmm. during covid was oh this is disinformation yeah. and who gets to decide that who gets to decide what is what is real and what is not real we know the news can't do that right because they've shown that to us yeah. i mean you had rachel maddow back at the beginning of covid 
saying once you get the vaccine, you can never get COVID again. Uh-huh. You're good. One and done. And you're good. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that was the information that was coming out. But you did have people saying otherwise. Yeah. And well, mm-hmm. now we know the people saying otherwise were right. And yet they were the ones that were censored. So who gets to say? Who gets to decide what is okay? What right. is truth? Right. And what is not? Yeah. Interesting subject. It's a hard one. Who gets is to decide? It? Well, I, I get to decide. You should. I do. Yeah. That's that's my body, my choice. Whoa. It is. That was that was the big one with the vaccine, <laughs> right? And then nobody believed that. Well, and then the abortion I'm, I'm ban came back. I'm and scared now of needles, back. bro. I'm scared of needles. Did you ever shoot up? Did I did you shoot a up lot. Oh. Yeah. I said that kind of sarcastically, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like going to doctors. I've never gotten a flu shot. I don't think ever. Um, it's not that I don't trust big pharma, but it's just that I know my own body. Okay. Um, I do my own research. I've never been tested for COVID. I've never gotten a shot for COVID and I'm not going to get tested and I'm not going to get a shot. Period. There was and a... I have been around people, COVID positive, symptomatic, many times. And I've done my own research, and I have for over a year now been on a certain medication and um, supplements. What are you taking? Well, I wouldn't. I would have told you just now if I wanted you to know. Oh, okay. I just had to press <laughs> a little bit just to make sure. No, I um, you know, there's uh, I, I take zinc, vitamin D three, and copious amounts of vitamin C. Lots of water. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. I thought it was you were gonna say what's the hydroxychloroquine when that big one was yeah, coming no, out. Yeah, no, I don't take hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. No, well, everybody should be taking those. I mean, not necessarily the vitamin C, but zinc. Uh-huh. And vitamin D. How many people are vitamin D deficient in this country? Right, right. It's a lot. A lot. I think it's yeah. like half of yeah. the population. Yeah. But there's also another um, medication that would be like, um, what do they call it a zinc ionis for? You had to bite it? Like quercetin? Yeah. 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 Yeah, like quercetin. Yeah, I, I have that also. That is like a slingshot that sticks the zinc in your cells. So when a virus does come in, which you can't stop it from coming. I mean, you could probably rinse your nose out every day, but you're going to get sick. Yeah, I don't know it's just, how effective that Just going to get sick, you know. Um, but you can uh, minimize the severity of the sickness, even vi- antivirals, um, by making sure that there's plenty of zinc in the cells to keep the virus from replicating within your body. And so they some have said hydroxychloroquine, some have said ivermectin. Uh, quercetin would be... Um, in the same family, but you have to take more quercetin to equal out to enough ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, I believe, that would... So you're taking more quercetin than you are if you were to take ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, so... I want to go back to this idea of of you kind of being stifled in your speech a little bit, because it seems like you have a lot to say. It seems like you have a lot of opinions on a lot of different topics. I do. Is it hard? Does it, do you ever get resentful towards the mission because of that? No, no, never. You no, kind the, of separated the, the it mission, out. The mission is my life. That's my, that's my baby. Um, God brought me there. Um, I came straight out of jail, 
and two, three days out of jail, I came to the mission. Um, and when I was in, in the program, um, as I was getting ready to graduate, I was thinking that, you know, I want to be in ministry. And all I could think about was um, I need Bible college. And I wanted to go to Bible college. And the only one that I would want to go to would be uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Um, and because I love Calvary Chapel style of just teaching through the word. I just love it. So um, uh, the director at the time, Dan, um, told me, Brian, people aren't praying if they're going to help you. They're praying how much they're going to, how much money they're going to give you. So I had people that were willing to fund that. But the thing is, is I, I just couldn't see. I got three kids and they're all three running amok. Um, I'm in the program. My wife living in the projects. I can't even go see her at the projects because they kicked me out of the projects in Eureka. Um, so I was like, how am I going to get all my kids together um, and take them all down to Southern California to Costa Mesa and me go to Baba College, you know? Um, and it just didn't fit. There was just no way. I mean, what am I going to force my kids to? It's just, it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. And I was kind of frustrated. And I, I told Dan, I said, I just don't know how it's going to work, Dan. And he said, he goes, well, maybe God wants to use you here, Brian. And it was like the lights went on. And I said, like, what do you mean? He goes, well, here at the ministry, at the mission. And I said, yeah, that would be totally awesome, you know? And so he said, well, he said, I'm going to put you at the thrift store when you graduate for about two or three months. He said, and I'm going to be moving some things around at the mission because things were not the best at the time. Uh, and he needed to replace some. In terms of how it was run? Yeah, yeah. Management was, they weren't compassionate. They they just weren't. And and the community was really suffering. And uh, even talking with Betty Chin one time, this is years after that, but Betty had, had expressed to me that she didn't even want to drive by the mission at one time. I was like, wow. You know, because I remember things were not really good on 2nd Street. And the mission wasn't really being a, a productive member in the community. It was pretty much just kind of a free-for-all. I got there after all of that bad stuff. But it still wasn't the best. You know, I'm not knocking the people. They just did the best what they could with what they had. Well, anyway, so I graduated, went to work at the thrift store, and I worked there for about um, three months. Now, one thing um, that a preacher said one time that really came to light to me was that he said, a man who knows how will always have a job, but the man who knows why will always be his boss. And I thought, huh. So God taught me why when I went to the thrift store, because I was pretty much just program and mission, and I loved the people, the homeless people. And when I went to work at the thrift store, uh, I was at the back door receiving donations and a vase. I remember a big, really pretty vase came in, and um, and I took the pricing gun, and I put 75 cents on that. And I put it in the little box to take out and put on the shelf. And it's like when I saw that 75 cents uh, and I set that down, it's like the lights went on again. Is that 75 cents on that goes on the shelf. Somebody comes and likes it. They grab it. They put 75 cents into the till. That goes to the executive office. It gets counted and all the stuff our accountant does. And then from there it goes to the bank. And then she writes checks for the power, uh, the water, and all that stuff. And I realized that I was a, already a part of the ministry by pricing a vase. But I had something inside of me that I wanted to be more involved with the people. I wanted to be, yeah, receiving donations is great and helping out in the store is great. And I, and I knew, but so it was, for me, it was a, a learning lesson to be at the thrift store for three months. And then finally realizing is that, oh, I get it. I get it. Because I was on the receiving end. 
and then I'm in the position of earning a check at the thrift store, but on the giving end. And so I went from there and I came back to the shelter. There was, he, he made some adjustments and I came in and I became a house manager. And so I worked um, from uh, three to 11, I think. And I, I did that for a couple, three years. And then um, the director at the time had been down there with his office there working out of the mission shelter because we, he was getting things together. And, um, and then he had made a decision that he wanted to make somebody in charge of the men's shelter. And instead of it be calling, uh, being called the operations manager, he said he's going to call, call it the men's shelter director. And so, hmm, I thought, hmm. And, and then he told me, he said, and he said, I really want you to do that. You know, and I was like, wow, okay, I, I can do it, yeah. Because I've already been pretty much doing it, you know. And so then I came to day shift, um, 7.30 to 6.30, 2.30 or something like that. And um, so I did that for like five years. And um, I remember, because I would meet with him every Wednesday. I would go over to the executive office over by the thrift store. And we would have uh, a meeting and he would, we would talk about things going on and stuff. So I was in charge of the men's shelter and the women's shelter pretty much. And um, uh, 10 years ago, uh, I remember sitting in his office and he leaned back in that leather chair and he said, and he tapped the arms of the chair. It's like this. He goes, you know, Brian, someday you're going to be sitting in this chair. And he did that. And I kind of leaned back in my chair and I said, yeah, right. And he, and he leaned up and he says, no, I'm serious. He said, I've already talked to the board and uh, you're going to be the next executive director. He said, I took, I'm taking a full-time pastoral job. And I said, oh, you're serious. And he looked at me and he was, tightened his lips he said, yes, I'm serious. And I said, okay, I'm going to have to pray about this. I've talked to my wife about this. And um, I'll let you know. And he said, good answer. And so I came back and I said, okay, um, I'll give it a shot. I'll give you six months and we'll see how things work out. And I said, but, you know, there's no guarantees. That I'm going to fit the position or anything. And, and he was really pleased with my attitude coming in. I thought whenever I came in there, I was going to change a lot of things. You know what I mean? Because there was things he was doing that I was really disagreeing with. Financial, or not so much financial, but some other things. Um, so I became the interim assistant executive director for six months. And um, when I sat in that chair, I remember the day he called me. He said, are you ready? And I said, ready for what? And he goes, ready to move. And I said, oh. Yeah, so I gathered my stuff up and went over to the office and I sat in that big leather chair, you know. And, um, and then as weeks went on, uh, information that was coming by and me writing letters and dealing directly with um, uh, donors and different things like that, I learned why. And some of those things that I said I was going to change, I knew why he made those decisions. And uh, it broadened my view from just being at the shelter to more of a community view. Oh, I get it. I get it. So after six months, the board decided, nope, you're our guy. Uh, get to the bank, get your signature on file. And that's when they, I became the actual official executive director. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been an uphill climb ever since. But and I felt like I had to be um, this business guy. You know what I mean? 
and to sit behind this desk and, and be an executive. And uh, even my cousin Kelly, I told him, and he goes, you, an executive? And I was like, yeah, I know, it's weird. But I felt so pushed into this executive director mold that I had to be, and I felt like I was trying, trying to be somebody I wasn't. And, um, and I watched a video on YouTube of Andy Bales, who's a, a executive director of Los Angeles Rescue Mission on Skid Row. And uh, so I was trying to connect with other directors, you know, and, and see what they did. And Andy, when he came on the YouTube video, he said, it was just like, man, I just, I almost did a somersault, man. He said, he said, I'm not your typical CEO. He said, you won't find me in an office behind a desk somewhere. And he turned around and he pointed down the street at all the tents and he looked back at the camera. He says, you'll find me down here getting to know the people and getting to know their stories. And it was like, don't try to be somebody else. Just be who I called you to be, Brian. And so I learned um, that I can still do administrative things. I don't spend a lot of time in my office. I do those administrative things, but um, I'm, I'm more comfortable uh, dealing with the people, with, the people, with, with employees, uh, managers, making sure everything's running smooth. I don't ma micromanage people. They're, I bring them in. I allow them to use their gifts and talents that they have and operate freely. Um, we have meetings. Um, we discuss things. I'm not a heavy-handed guy. Um, I mean business, um, but I don't, um, I'm, I'm not a forceful person. Uh, there have been times when I've had to be forceful. I don't like it. Um, I do it because I know it needs to be done. But, um, you know, you, you get a whole lot further in life when you create an environment that's, um, that's free, that you can move and live and be who you are uh, and focus on um, saving people, man. Saving lives, you know. Spend some time with the with the heroin addict that comes in and it's just says, "Man, I'm just dying out here." You know, you could say, "Well, I don't know what to tell you." You know, probably ought to stop doing that heroin. No, it's it's come on in the office, man. Let's talk. You know, and you get them hooked up with services. They get on Suboxone. They get off that stuff, and eventually they get off Suboxone, <clears throat> and they and they're just free flying. You know, those are the kinds of things I I really enjoy. That's what makes the job worth it, right? Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. something, something <clears throat> powerful about helping people and giving back. There's a weird self-fulfillment in that. It, re um. it recharges you in a way. Or not even recharges you, but it, you, that act of selflessness is, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a value in that. And it's weird. I don't know if we just don't appreciate that as much today. Well, it's even more impactful if you're a selfish person. And I'm very selfish. Yeah. People say, well, you need to love yourself. It's like, I love myself. I love myself more than I sh ever should have. I mean, <clears throat> I feed myself when I'm hungry. I put a coat on when I'm cold. You know, back then, whenever I wanted to get high, I would do whatever I had to do to love on myself and shoot drugs in my arm, you know. So I don't have a problem loving myself. I have a real issue denying myself and um, putting other people's f people first. Um, and that's, that takes work. And the scripture says, whatever you do, whether it be word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so I'm, uh, I, I have scriptures that come into my mind. Um, and they come in my mind at, in moments. You know what I mean? Uh, situational um things happen, conversations, and a scripture will come into my mind. And 
you know, the devil's not going to give me a scripture, but I know the Spirit of God is. And those words are like apples of gold in settings of silver, you know, a word that's aptly spoken. Um, and so I depend, completely depend on the Lord. Um, I think um, doing good things for other people so that I can feel good is the wrong motive. However, I don't knock people that do that because I understand. Um, I happen to be a little different uh, because I don't, I don't do things. I don't do things for recognition. I used to, but I don't now. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be on podcasts. I really don't. Um, I don't want to be in front of the TV camera. I don't want to be in the newspaper. I'd rather just be left alone and love on the people in Second Street and see absolute, complete transformations in people's lives. That's what excites me, man. When I see somebody go from a strung-out drug addict into driving a semi-truck across the United States, that is, you can't get any better than that. When I see somebody else prosper, um, I don't get jealous. I'm like, well, yeah, go for it, you know? So I see see things a little different sometimes. You know? Well, that's a good way to see it. Mm -hmm. That's that's probably the best way to see it mm. is just be happy with seeing other people succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I like your podcast. Don't get me wrong. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, we enjoy it. I was We're impressed. I was, I drove my car up and I'm like, and I looked at my phone, the address I had typed in and I was like, and then I saw it on this garage and I was like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, and then I saw, kind of looked sideways, and I saw the door was open, and I thought, well, I'm just going to walk up, and sure enough, come in here, and it's just absolute. Man Not what it looks like from it's, the outside. It's a man cave. Yeah. With That's what I'm trying to turn it into. Complete techie stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely, that's, that's kind of the theme of it, is just no yeah. bullshit, just a fun place to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, we spend, shit, if you're doing five-hour podcasts, you got to like the space that you're in. Yeah, you know? yeah. A little sandpaper would be all right. Yeah, that, I think that was a great recommendation. <laughs> this is our new table. We just uh -huh. actually finished this, so yeah, I think that's going to be the next step. But Brian, you're awesome, man. I really appreciate you you coming in and telling your story and Thanks for talking with me. me. Absolutely. Do you want to plug where people can find you, the Absolutely, mission, yeah. how they can donate if they want to donate? Yeah, that would be great. So we're actually live. There are people listening to us yep. right now. Yep. Uh, and what's up out there? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know. I, I can, because now what I see is I know exactly where every cent goes that comes into the Eureka Rescue Mission. Every penny. I'm the one that signs the checks. It's a double signature check. I know where the money's going. I'm the one that has a credit card. I know how to shop. Uh, I know how to get toilet paper at a discount in large quantities. I know where every penny goes. And when people give to the Rescue Mission, I can assure you, I put it on my skin that it goes to changing people's lives one life at a time. We are not a flop house. We don't tolerate nonsense. Um, people have a time limit when they come. If they're not showing that they're going to be productive and, and move along in life, we get them like 90 days, some people a little more. They get a job, they can stay, they save their money, um, and then they move out into their own place. We give them enough time to save up enough money to have a first, last, and then money to buy furniture, they move out. So I can assure the people, if they want to give to the mission, that... It, it's going to a really good cause locally. So you can give online at eurekarescuemission.org or you can call uh, during business hours, 407-445-3787. And you can, uh, 
you can have automatic giving. You can give by credit card. Um, you, you can give PayPal on our website. There's a donate page and, um, and give that way. And so right now is a really big time that we're, I'm trying to generate money um, because we only have enough money right now for phase one of our women and children's shelter. Um, and there's a big need in our community. We do have a waiting list for women and children to come in, and we want to be able to uh, get this thing done. And that's done. We're done expanding, or not expanding, but we're done renovating. Uh, and we'll have a large, good facility, ADA compliant, for women and children to get off the streets. And so I got to come up with $800,000. Woo! Yeah. And I would like to um, think that that there are people out there, you know, $5, $10, um, a one-time gift. Um, but just coming on board with us on a monthly, um, we send out a newsletter. And so, you know, if you give five bucks a month, I mean, that's a cup of coffee nowadays, you know, maybe a sacrifice, a cup of coffee to come on board with the mission, five bucks a month, you know, that's all. Um, or a hundred thousand dollars a month, you know, or 800,000. If you're just or sitting on 800 grand, yeah. you're thinking about buying some car you don't need. Yeah. Just... And so, you know, and I, I am, I have an open door policy. If anybody out there listening right now um, wants to come and meet me, I'm actually at the shelter on 2nd Street uh, from 8, 7.38 in the morning, 8.30 sometimes, until around uh, 3 in the afternoon. Uh, come by the shelter, ask for Brian, Brian Hall, and I will show you every facet of our ministry in the building and what we do. I'll spend as much time as you want, and I'll take you through the whole show and show you exactly what we do. Um, love to take people for tours. I try to make, I try to keep my calendar. I don't plan out a bunch of meetings. I'm not a meeting kind of guy. Um, I'm kind of just Johnny on the spot stuff. And somebody calls, and if I have time, let's, I'll take you through and show you. So um, people can know what they give to, and I want to, I want to keep it that way. Yeah, that's an important aspect because mm-hmm. you can get jaded thinking, "Oh, am I just paying somebody's salary?" Yep. But you're here, yep. and you know where the money goes. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, Brian, re- I appreciate you, man. I had a great time talking with you. It's been great. Thanks. All right. All right.